Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Nathaniel spoke a mouthful, but he didn't even say the half of it. So Nathaniel gets word that there is this Messiah that has supposedly come, a Messiah that comes from Nazareth. And then Nathaniel speaks those immortal words. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I love Philip's response. Come and see. So there Jesus spots Nathanael as he is coming, and he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. An Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And I love Nathanael's response again here. He says, Well, how do you know me? As if to say, Yeah, that's right, I am an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit, but how, how is it that you know me? Jesus says, Oh yeah, I saw you under the fig tree. And then Nathanael utters his mouth full. Oh, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That's all it took for him to make this bold confession of faith. And Jesus says to him, in effect, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because Jesus goes on to say, truly, truly. And whenever you hear Jesus say, truly, truly, that's kind of like a neon sign saying, listen to what Jesus is about to say. We should always Listen to what Jesus is about to say, but especially words like this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wow. This is a powerful proclamation of the Lord, but what exactly does it mean? The heavens open, angels of God ascending and descending on the, on the Son of Man. What really is Jesus getting at here? Well, Jesus is evoking an Old Testament story that all of his hearers would have been familiar with and would have recognized immediately. This is back in your Old Testament in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 28, you've got the story of Jacob. And we can't get into all the details of Jacob, but suffice it to say, Jacob finds himself one day in the middle of nowhere, and he needs to lay down and take a nap. So he does. He lays down in this certain place. He's got a stone for a pillow. And when he falls asleep, he receives a vision. And in that vision, he sees heaven opened and a ladder coming down out of heaven and touching the earth and the angels of God ascending and descending on the ladder. And when Jacob wakes up, he says, whoa, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. He goes on to name that place Bethel, which means house of God. Here God meets man. Here I am able to, to join and to meet with the Holy One, with Almighty God. And this vision, this image of the ladder coming down out of heaven, uh, it really has captured the imagination of God's people from time eternal. So that this has even been kind of a, an image to be used for the life of faith, for the Christian life. That it's a kind of ladder ascending up into heaven, and we are climbing that ladder, getting closer and closer. It's even been used many times in artistic depictions and iconography, and I want to try and pull up for you one image of this. Um, I'm going to attempt to do this, and we'll see if Pastor is successful. And there we go. Okay. So here, this is an icon, uh, and for those of you who are gathered here, you can look at the, the front of your worship folder and see the same image. This is uh, from a monastery in Sinai, of all places. And it's entitled, The Ladder of Divine Ascent. And what I want to do this morning is to kind of contrast two kinds of ladder theology, if you will. 
On the one hand, we have what I want to call a human ladder theology. And on the other hand, you have a divine ladder theology put forth by our Lord Jesus. And what I want to show is that while there's some comparisons to be made, some overlap, that the way that Jesus lays out this ladder theology fundamentally subverts our natural human ladder theology. And to help guide our, our meditations this morning, I'm going to be using this image and, and returning to it. So you might want to uh, keep that handy as we're making our way through the sermon. So we're going to do some comparing and contrasting. And my goal is that in doing this, you and I will have a fuller understanding, a more grace-based appreciation for what the Christian life really looks like. So let's go ahead and dig into it. First of all, let's uh, examine more closely that human ladder theology, the natural ladder theology. And there's a few particular aspects or components of this that I want to mention. And as we do that, go ahead and turn to the image once again, as Pastor will again try to pull it up for us here. So here you see on the image, you've got this horde of humanity, and they're all making their way up the ladder, trying to reach up to heaven, trying to, to reach Jesus, as Jesus is up there at the top saying, okay, come on, try a little bit harder. Maybe you're going you're gonna to make it if you can just do it. But this is a, a fundamental aspect to this human ladder theology. And I think you could sum it up in the, uh, the common words that are spoken. A, a central tenet of this is this idea that uh, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard people say that? Maybe you have said that. I have to tell you guys, that is not actually in the scriptures. That is not actually part of the Bible. The Lord helps those who help themselves. Rather, that is a, a kind of a, what would you say, sort of a, a human, natural, um, not a parable, but a proverb that we use. And the idea is, if we just try a little bit harder, if we are doing more and more, then God is going to help those who help themselves. This is a basic component of human ladder theology, that we are striving, we are trying, and it's all up to us. That maybe we're going to get a little bit of assistance, some heavenly aid, but mostly it's up to you and me in order to climb higher and higher. You can see how this really fits in with our contemporary cultural mindset as well, where we have this idea that we all, we're climbing the ladder, we're getting better and better day by day, we're going to do more, we're going to try more, and our, our standing is based on our performance. But what if our performance isn't so great? Well, that gets to another part of the image here, and maybe you noticed this already. So if you look, you see some of these guys, as they are making their way up the ladder, they're not so successful. They are falling off the ladder. There they are. They are descending, and you see even the, the demons are pulling some of them off. And so for some of them, it's their sinful nature that is intervening and that's affecting them. And for others, it's this demonic forces that are distracting them from their focus on Christ and the kingdom of God. And then for perhaps, perhaps for still others, it's simply the ways of the world that are leading them astray. But whatever it is that causes them to fall off, we see the dreadful effects of that, that you end up being gobbled up by this Jabba the Hutt-looking character down at the bottom. You see him there? Um, this is probably a symbolic for death, for the grave, which is going to, to gobble up eternally all those who fall off of the ladder, which is to say, who stray from the straight and narrow path. It's a, a pretty arresting image, and it's a little bit intimidating, if we're going to be honest there. <clears throat> but here's the thing. 
There is some truth to this human ladder theology, and the way I'm putting it forward to you this morning makes it sound as though it's just something to lampoon, and I don't want to do that, because it gets at some, has some purchase on some real truths about the Christian life. For one thing, we are striving, we are toiling, that to live the life of faith does mean that we need to apply ourselves in faith. You think of in the, the book of Hebrews, it says we all need to strive for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's true. And it's also true, as I often want to say, that we live in a, amidst spiritual warfare and that Satan and his minions are trying to pull us away from the truths of God's word. They're trying to pull us away from the life of faith. And our own sinful nature is constantly battling against us that, so that we can fall off, or perhaps better put, we can leap off the ladder of faith, fall away from the kingdom and from the kingdom's goal, presence with our Lord Jesus. So there is something true about this human ladder theology, but it also has a shadow side, and I think we need to recognize that as well. See, inasmuch as you and I put all of the, the burden on ourselves that we are going to climb up to heaven, that we are going to make it up to God through our efforts, through our energies, ultimately, it can't help but lead to despair. It can't help but lead to despair. And the reason for that is none of us are able to do it. None of us can make it. Yeah, maybe we have some really good days or even some really good seasons when you feel like you're just right in tune with the Lord and everything is, is clicking, you're going on all cylinders. But you also know that you've had those times and maybe those seasons when you're going through that dark night of the soul where it feels like no matter what you do, you can't quite get back in tune with the Lord. And you're wondering, did I do something wrong, Lord? Is there some sort of unconfessed sin? What is it that is keeping me from you? If you totally put yourself into that human ladder theology mindset that I just need to keep on climbing and get better and better and better, you can't help but find yourself ultimately despairing because you do fail and you do falter. And our faith is not strong enough always to be able to hold us up. And there's a flip side to this too. As if you find yourself in that place of despair, some people just abandon faith, but others double down on the latter theology and instead just get angry. They get angry, first of all, at other people and say, it's your fault that I can't be more sanctified, that I can't be more holy. The problem is all these other sinners who are keeping me from walking with the Lord. You get angry at other people. Then you get angry at yourself. Why can't I do this? Why can't I be better? Why can't I be stronger? Why can't I be more faithful? And finally, you get angry at the Lord. Saying, God, why aren't you more fair? Why is it that you are so unjust to put us in this, this life where we're trying to walk with you? It's impossible. Between my sinful nature and Satan and the world, how am I supposed to climb up this ladder and reach that goal? There's a shadow side, see, to this human ladder theology which can't help but lead to despair and darkness and doubt. And so I want to contrast that human way of thinking with the much more salutary and gracious divine ladder theology put forth by our Lord Jesus. To return once again to those words of Jesus in today's gospel, he says to Nathanael, truly, truly, I say to you, that blinking neon sign, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, as I mentioned before, Jesus is evoking that Old Testament story, the vision of Jacob. But did you notice that there's something different? See, when Jacob saw his vision, he saw that ladder coming down out of heaven. 
Jesus makes no mention of the ladder. He talks about the heavens opening. He talks about the angels of God ascending and descending. He doesn't mention the ladder. And why is that? It's because he himself is the ladder. Jesus is that bridge between heaven and earth. He is the, the nexus. He is the place of God. He himself is Bethel incarnate, the house of God come to dwell among us, to be with us. He is the one who conjoins heaven and earth, who brings us back to God. He is the one who has come down from heaven down to earth. See, in this divine ladder theology, Jesus is not only that nexus between God's abode and our, heaven and our human realm, but he also shows us how God is constantly coming down to meet us. In that human ladder theology, it's all about us ascending. It's all about us going up. But as Jesus sets it forth, it's about God coming down to meet us. It's about this divine condescension where we have a Lord who meets us right where we are, down in our human flesh, in the muck and mire of our sin, until finally he goes down, down, down into the grave for you and for me. See, Jesus is always going down, as he says later to Nicodemus. He who has ascended is also he who has descended, that is, the Son of Man. This is what the divine ladder theology looks like. It's not about all of our works and all of our efforts to climb up to God. It's about all of his work and his effort, laying everything down for you and me to come down, to meet us, to make us his own. And here I once again wanna to return to the icon, to that image, to see how here in this picture, it actually echoes this subversion of the human ladder theology, the subversion set forth by our Lord Jesus. So go ahead and turn to that once again. A couple of things draw our attention to this and, and teach this divine ladder theology as well. First of all is the number of rungs you have on the ladder. You can go ahead and try and count it right now or I can just tell you. There's 30 rungs on the ladder, 30 rungs. Why are there 30 rungs on the ladder? Well, different answers could be given. On the one hand, maybe it's just a coincidence. There was 30 rungs. There had to be some number. Other people have said, no, this is the number of rungs for the ascetic life. For those who are doing their spiritual exercises, this is the, the number of steps they had to achieve perfection. But I think more likely the case is that these 30 rungs are symbolic of Jesus himself. And why is that? It's because in the uh, medieval mindset, there was, well, two numbers that would especially symbolize the life of our Lord. One was 33, which was the traditional age of our Lord Jesus in his death and his resurrection. But the other number would be 30. This is the only explicit number mentioned in the Gospels that tells us when Jesus began his ministry. So that the number 30 becomes associated and symbolic of the life of Jesus himself. So what is the icon telling us by having these 30 rungs on the ladder? Well, it's underscoring our Lord's own teaching that he himself is the ladder between heaven and earth. It's not just some neutral thing that you and I are trying to climb up. No, our whole life of faith is lived in the presence of our Savior, that we have him going behind us, beside us, before us, so that even if we falter, even if we fall, we don't just fall off into oblivion, but there is Jesus to rescue us, to grab us, to pull us back onto the way of faith. You think of St. Peter when he went out in his ill-fated attempt to try and get out of the boat to see if he could walk on water and immediately he starts falling and Jesus says, well, good luck, Peter. If only you had tried a little bit harder. No, immediately Jesus reaches down, grabs Peter, pulls him back up and then gives him one of those divine noogies where he says, well, if you a little faith, why did you doubt? 
Don't you know that I am here for you always? This is the divine ladder theology that knows that our Lord is with us always, that no matter how much we falter, how much we fall, he's there to forgive, to pick us up, and to make us his own once again. And there's one other element of this image that I want to draw your attention to. So take a look at the depiction of Jesus himself. You see him there in the upper right corner, and if you're looking at this in color, as I hope you are, you'll see that Jesus is wearing this resplendent gold robe, which is fitting. He alone is the King of kings, he alone is Lord of lords, and he alone in this icon is the only one wearing a gold robe. It sets him apart as our unique savior. But let me rephrase that a little bit. There is actually one other person wearing the gold robe in the image, and maybe you noticed it before. Down there at the bottom, that poor sap being sucked up by that Job of the Hutt character, death itself, down at the bottom, there we see Jesus once again. Jesus going down into the mouth of the beast. Jesus going into the gullet of the grave for you and for me. See, this is what Jesus has done, is that he who knew no sin has become sin for us. He who was the, the life of the world, who has brought life and immortality to light, he himself went down into death, not merely to suffer it, but to subvert it, to put an end to it once and for all. Jesus allows himself to be swallowed by the great swallower and then to destroy it from the inside out. Christ Jesus goes down into the grave and explodes it from the inside out so that now those jaws of death have been wrenched open and you and I have been set free from fear to the slavery of death that now we live in the freedom of the gospel and the promise of Christ Jesus that death has been defanged that the grave is no longer fearsome that now we belong to the Lord who has the victory over the grave amen amen see Jesus is the one who reigns and rules so that now you and I no longer need to fear what lay ahead this is the divine ladder theology, which our Lord finally has the victory for you and for me. So what does this mean? What difference does this make in our lives of faith? Well, I think a lot could be said, but I want to lift up for you two applications in particular. And I've already gone really long, so let me be brief about this. First of all, the Christian life is more about losing than about winning. It's more about losing than about winning. What I mean by that is not just that, hey, we're Lions fans and we're really used to losing, but know that the losing our life is fundamental to who we are as followers of Jesus. You remember what Jesus says, that to be a follower of him, his doesn't mean that you are climbing higher and higher, getting better and better every day. It means that you are losing your life in order to gain it, that you are sacrificing yourself for the sake of others. You're laying down your life in order to lift up others. In essence, it's that life of humility, getting down to the humus, down to earth, even as our Lord came down for us. So we get down in order to lift up others, lose, and in so doing, we win. And then secondly, it means that you and I can rest in the victory of our Lord Jesus. We don't need to strive tooth and nail like dogs all uh, scratching for the food bowl, thinking, oh, I gotta make sure that I get mine. You have been given all things by a kind and beneficent Lord who comes down in order to feed you, in order to give you himself. You can rest in his victory. And I'll leave you with this. 
The artist of the icon himself wanted to make sure we didn't miss this. So if you were to look at the reverse side of it, if you were to flip it over, you would see this image, the letters I, what looks like I-C-X-C, which is shorthand for Greek, which means Iesus Christos, and then Nika, N-I-K-A. You might be familiar with this from Nike. Nika is the Greek word for to have the victory or to conquer. So that it says right there on the icon so that it's unmistakable that you and I don't miss it. Jesus has the victory. Jesus is the one who conquers. And you and I can rest in that victory knowing that the Lord who has come down has claimed us as his own. That he is the son of God. That he is the king of Israel. That he is your beneficent and gracious and generous Lord and king. And guess what? You still ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.